So it is the 10th already of September. We're in the second week of September. We enter into chapter 3 in our study, but we'll exhaust chapter 3 today, I trust, if I can stay on track. It's our 10th lesson in our series about the conscience and so forth. And we're looking this morning, as I said specifically, about what we should do when our conscience condemns us. And we've been prepped for this. We've looked at all the scriptures in the New Testament that deal with conscience. And our writer says on page 45 in the book, he says, if you rightly understand how holy God is and how sinful you are, your conscience will rightly condemn you when you sin against God. And we know that. We know that that happens and we're responsive to that. Uh, So we say up front, that shouldn't alarm us. I mean, in terms of being in despair Uh, In fact, we trust we'll get to the point in our life, and I think I've mentioned this, that we welcome that, okay? David cries out, Lord, you know, show me, basically, if I can paraphrase, the error of my ways. Open up my heart. Expose my heart that I might be clean before you. That becomes our desire. That becomes what we want more than anything. Uh, Whereas before we say, well, you know, that's going to hurt a bit. I don't like that. That's going to be an expose of me and what, how I really think and how, what I really allow in my life or what I've neglected because I don't have knowledge or whatever. And I realize that I'm still growing in my faith and so forth. There's something about that that runs cross-grain with us. I guess it just goes right down to that element of pride that we still have in our life. And we refuse to see ourselves, as again David said, you know, naked before him, totally exposed before him. And I trust that we'll get to the point in our life where we welcome that because that's the cleansing effects of the Word of God, the cleansing effects of His presence within us. So that's a good thing. But what do we try to do? We try to silence the conscience, don't we? Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Don't want my conscience to be my guide. Or I don't want to acknowledge that there's a particular issue in my life, in my actions, or in my thinking. And we shouldn't do that because let the conscience do its work. Don't try to soothe it with rationalizations. Now, many are good at that, right? Many are good at that. They can rationalize anything. I talk to a young man fairly frequently. He can rationalize anything. And he seems to draw some strength uh, if I can't, you know, uh, academically or intellectually debunk something that he's latched onto or talking about or some, you know, particular stance he's taken in his life over an issue, then he draws strength from that, puts a lot of pressure on me to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but we don't, we don't want to soothe our conscience with rationaliz- rationalizations. It's okay to ask We ask God, and we evaluate the answers according to His Word. It's okay to ask. But God will expose the way that we think and the errors in the way that we think. This is what conscience is all about. This is what the molding and the remaking of our conscience is all about. And it always centers around the truth of God's Word. Thirdly, I would add, don't stretch your conscience past your guilt. What do you think that means? That's from the book. Don't stretch your conscience past your guilt. Well, now sometimes it's, it's clear, more clear than we would want to admit. 
regarding the rightness or the wrongness of a matter, but it may be something that we're pretty much latched onto. I would say, I would venture to say it's often something that for whatever reason, it's something in our life that we feel like we can't live without, whether it's a job or a relationship or something about our own personality or whatever. We just think we can't live without that. That's who we are. We don't want to see that messed with. We don't have faith beyond that. Yet, our conscience is getting our attention about that thing. And I think when he's talking about moving, don't let it, what did he say? Don't, let, uh, don't stretch your conscience past your guilt. All right? You've got to be able to get beyond that. Okay. But don't, don't nullify your conscience when that issue of guilt, when you're still being bombarded, you know, by particular issues. God is placing the word in your heart. He's saying, wake up, deal with this, okay? This is the word of God speaking to your heart. And you feel guilty. That's a good thing. You feel guilty over the issue, whatever it is, some particular stance, maybe even an action that you've taken, something that you allow in your life that you shouldn't allow. It all comes down to whether or not we trust God is he just something intangible you know is this word right up here in front of me just something that's mystical something that we lean on uh you know in a in a mysterious kind of way you know a hocus pocus kind of way you know that's what the unbelieving world accuses us of but we know it to be the 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 God-breathed word this is how we evaluate not just our words and actions but the way that we think and God, we know it happens when we turn our face toward Him. He begins this process in our life, this process of pruning and molding and all these other different adjectives you can use to describe what God does. Sanctification or progressive sanctification, all this comes together. Do we want that? Do we want to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today? And if we do, then we will respond to His Word, period, period. The marvelous thing about this is when we, when we begin this, this journey and when we, we learn up to the point where we're willing to do this and just leave the consequences of our obedience to God, man, does He ever show up and teach us and give us bona fide experience in faith. Do you know what I mean by that? It's when we reach out and we, we trust Him fully. We do like Abraham. We, we trust Him not really knowing the potential of how it could go. We just know that we need to stop or quit or change. We don't know the answer, but we're going to trust Him to, to fill in the blank, to fill the void, and then see what He does. And this is how He builds our faith. He says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will supply your Needs. So there's nothing that you could ever give up for the cause of Christ. Nothing you could ever yield over to Him that He doesn't take and refill over and over again in your life. He will supply your need. It's a matter of faith in our life. It's not about getting everything that you want. Not that different <laughs> philosophy. Not that brand. I'm not even talking about that. It's so remote from that. Well, remember that conscience is a great gift. It comes from our Heavenly Father. And God help us in dealing with our conscience 
to know that beyond any shadow of doubt, if we're ever approaching that area where we begin to think, you know, maybe, maybe I'm kind of, maybe I'm kind of letting my conscience be seared a bit in this particular area. We don't want that to happen. And the more we focus upon him, the less likelihood that that will happen. He adds that when we're involved in this, when we realize this, and we feel like we're under some level of condemnation because of our conscience, you know, it can make us despair. It can. Or it can lead us, as he says, to passionate praise in our life. First off, as I said, if we understand that that's God moving in our life, that's God treating us as a son or a daughter, that's God's hand of correction in our life. And we all know from the Hebrews verse, right, chapter 12, that whom the Lord loves, He chastens, He corrects, He does that. Yeah. Jesus even used the example talking about how we, a heavenly or earthly father, knows how to give good things to their sons and daughters. How much more does your heavenly father know? He knows our needs better than we know them ourselves. There's a level of rest that we find in that. Do you see that? We go to this place and we can rest in that. Sometimes these issues are great. They do bring or they have the potential of bringing despair in our life. They're serious issues. God will not leave us. He will provide for us. So he goes on and he, I should say they, Crowley and Nacelli, they go on and they break this down into four or five different areas. And he talks first off about a clean conscience for the lost. And I like this. Because the conscience works in, certainly in the lives of people who don't know God. Why do we need to know that? Because that turns out to be a great appeal if we're able to to uh, explain it rightly to people, I think, who don't know Christ. But he promises a clean conscience before God. That's a powerful, powerful attraction. Because I can tell you from working in law enforcement and dealing with people and getting, you know, having to jump into people's lives and go into their homes and try to bring, you know, order out of disorder and try to bring, you know, some sort of resolution or some path to sanity over issue that's been created over years and years, you know. But that's what people want. Bottom line, they want want to be able, as I often say, to lay their head on their pillow at night and to feel the experience, if you will, you know, soundness, safety, security, acceptance, if you will, and that before holy God. Because God continues to work to convict the hearts of people who live apart from Him. Hallelujah. Thank God that He does that. But think about it. What an attraction to be able to explain to a lost person that, hey, you know what? You can be free of all of this. You know? You you try to fill holes in your life with all of these other things. You know, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's a, a relationship, whether it's a pursuit for material things... You know, whether it's all the, the power and prestige one might get from their job, their employment, their position, all of these different things that people hold on to. And what they're trying to do is fill that void in their life that only the Holy Spirit of God can fill. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that something's missing. We learned that back from Romans 1. And yet, even though they know that out of their ignorance, he says they not only do the things, if you will, and that's that whole list of things that 
are horrible against God, but they have pleasure in those who do them. They live a totally apart from Him. I work with people like this. I see them clearly, you know, in Scripture as it des- describes exactly how they, how they think and what they're trying to do and how they want to fill their life with everything, but they don't want to yield their life to Christ and to God. He can change all of that. He can do that. He can lift. I love you. And you hear me say it a lot. I, he can lift the sin burden. He and only He can do that. Jesus healed the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. And He said what? He said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. We, we see these things in Scripture and we say, oh, well, duh, we know that. No, but think of it from this guy's perspective and what life meant for him. And how, what an outcast he was. And how the religious community of that day considered him to be, you know, outside of the will of God. Condemned, obviously, uh, getting what he deserved or maybe even what his parents deserved. Remember, regarding the blind man, who did sin? This, this boy's mother or father that he was born blind. This was part of their religious thinking. So religion couldn't help him with any of that. Christ can, and through, or, can not only make him walk, but his sins are forgiven. No doubt he laid there thinking, why am I like this? What's happening? I did, what, what did I ever do? What would I have done? You know, that sovereign God would bring this into my life. No, it doesn't work that way. Christ is a forgiver and he forgives us. And He gives us the assurance of that forgiveness. That is a great gift. And I tell you, people who are lost without Christ, they desperately want that. And what we have to do in our obedience to the Word and the Spirit is to help them realize that by telling them the truth. That's what happens. We help them realize it simply by telling them the truth. And we don't get a, always a, a clear picture about folks. We tend to look at the way we are here in the United States. I've marked something here on page 46 that I wanted to share with you because uh, J.D. Crowley, he's the one who was the missionary in Cambodia. He's over there now working with these folks. Now listen to this. I don't know if you've read this in the book or not, but this is what he's dealing with. He says he lived in Cambodia among people who are burdened with unimaginable guilt. He says some of them murdered dozens, even hundreds during the horrible uh, Khmer Rouge period, you remember that? Uh, others would have murdered their tormentors if they had had a chance. So murder, you know, committed in their heart. Many of them have killed their babies through abortion. Millions have committed sexual sin. Tens of thousands of men have been unfaithful to their wives and then brought AIDS and other diseases home to infect their wives and babies. Many have broken apart families through their immorality and adultery. They've stolen many things and defrauded the poor of property and land. They've taken advantage of the weak and looked down on minorities and aliens. They've hated people and wished death upon them, even hiring sorcerers to harm them. Worst of all, he says, they've run headlong into the worship of idols and demons and houses and cars and money instead of the true and living God. And on that last sentence there, I thought about how Everybody was doing fine maybe until we got down to the last part here and he starts mentioning things like houses and cars and money and those kinds of things. This is the environment that he was ministering in over there. 
And he's simply bringing the message of Christ's love, Christ's forgiveness. Okay, and not just that. But, there's the, but that he affects a change. A person can change through the power of God, through the life of the Word within them. This is what we preach and teach. This is it. And this is what changes a life. It's the incorruptible seed, as Peter calls it. It's the power of God that does that. John 15, 3 and 4 says, You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Jesus says, abide in me, he's talking to the disciples, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the true vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we have a place to go. Many, many verses talk about this. You could go to Colossians 1.27 where it talk, he says it's Christ in you. He's talking about here about abiding in him. It's, Paul says it's Christ in you. That is your hope of glory. He dwells within you and he can relieve you and he can relieve your conscience everybody has to go through this to some degree how can i say that because we have to come clean with our lives before god whatever the word and the holy spirit brings to our heart and mind that needs to be laid before him confessed repented of we beg for that We must do that. We have to do that. And we do that on a daily basis without fail. We don't sit there in our intellect reflecting back on something that happened. And granted, Christ paid our sin debt. That when we came to Him in faith, that can't be undone. We know that. But we have a relationship with Him. We want to stay clean before Him. We don't want to continually suffer, if you will, experience the anguish of chastisement because we will not relent regarding something else, something new that He's brought into our life. We don't want to do that. And I hope that we see it as a relationship. We truly take Him with us, in us, everywhere that we go. So why do we, why do we give to people who bear the heavy burden of their sin? And they bear the burden of a super guilty conscience. Why do we give them? It's a simple answer, is it not? We give them Christ. And you'll often get this, well, no, I don't want to talk about that. I, no, I'm not talking about religion. We've got to be prepared for that. We've got to be prepared to tell them, well, this is what this is all about. You know, help them see this is about, this is about inner peace for you. This is about confidence that you're where you're supposed to be with God, and if you don't know Him, then pardon me. Then let me tell you how to get there. I can tell you the truth. I can pray that God would do His work within you, because you agree that's the only way it can happen. It's not going to be through anything that you do or say for that matter. But it's going to be the power of God's Word and His Spirit working in that person's life. This is our hope. And it should be exactly in our own life. Obviously, we can't be powerful in this presentation if we ourselves are a stumbling block. If we're a contradiction, that's not going to work. No. That's what we offer them. And I fear that sometimes we get away from this this simple truth. No doubt. That's why why Paul could say it's it's only Christ. He says, I've not preached anything except Christ and Him crucified. 
whether I live or die. It's Christ. And that has to be our thinking. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love this verse. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I remember one time at a church that I used to be in, uh, they did one of those productions, and I know some of y'all probably frown on it, but I was there and I was part of it. It was Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, one of those kind of things. And then you have this big room where everybody can come who's burdened, you know, with their sin after having watched this, this pr- uh, production. It was powerful and it was truthful. This guy comes in, he's young, he's mid-20s, and boy, and he just took control. And I was his counselor and I was talking with him. He said, I, he said, I, he said I've done this over and over. I've been here several times. I've come to the prayer room and I've done this. And he said, as nothing changes. Nothing changes. Thinking that just a desire or just the mere reality of guilt in his life and the acknowledgement of that would change everything. And it's not quite right, is it? No. So one thing to know that we're guilty, as I said, Romans 1 talks about people who know the truth of God, but he wasn't willing to let go of his life. And when I began hitting upon those things, and making it clear to him, well, it's not what God hasn't done. It's what you haven't done. You've not yielded to God, okay? And he shared some other things that made that crystal clear. And at one point, he's like, he just got up and left. And I said, please don't go. We're not through. Please don't go. You did this thing like that. Never saw him again. This is a powerful, powerful thing. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where if it's not the power of God working in a person's life at this point, I assure you there's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. So many times if you, as you preach or teach or share, you know, you get this, this horrible feeling that, you know, my efforts here are only going to be used in, you know, in testimony against this person. Of course, we know ultimately only God knows that. But that's what we're commanded to do is to speak the truth in love, and pray. Pray for the power of God to move upon people's hearts. That's what must happen. And then the change will be real. We'll know it. We'll understand it. The lost can have a clean conscience. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, I told you there was going to be some uplift in this lesson, okay? And there's one of them right there. And God can, and He's all prepared. He's, he's going to finish the work within us, His half-brother tells us. He's going to do that with great glory and with exceeding joy. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says something very similar that Paul knew and understood. That's what He's going to do for us. And this is what we offer folks who can at least see themselves, if they're apart from Christ, they can at least see themselves as guilty. They can see themselves as deserving of God's judgment, God's condemnation. We and we alone offer them hope in Christ. In effect, we offer them a clear conscience through what God can do. Secondly, he mentions the supercharged conscience of the Christian. 
the supercharged conscience of the Christian. Christians are surprised, he says, and sometimes discouraged. We all find this to be true, to, that the condemnations of conscience that we experience are even sometimes stronger after we become a child of God, right? Who has not experienced that? And that in itself testifies to the fact that there is a battle going on. There's a great battle going on. Why is this? He says it's because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's something now for the world and for evil and for all this, just something beyond our, the, uh, our natural God-given conscience. There's something there now that rebuffs that. It's the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. That is a very real thing. John 16, 8, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says when He comes, or when He has come, that He will convict the world of sin. He'll convict the world of righteousness. He'll tell us what's wrong. He'll tell us what's right. And He'll talk about judgment. He'll remind us that there is a judgment. We talked about this in the very first lesson, how important it was to always have that understanding that there is an accountability. But this is what's going on. This is what's within us. God has sealed us to be sure. I want to go back and say that. He will keep us. He will preserve us. Just as we read from Jude, that will happen. It doesn't matter about the intensity of the spiritual battle in our life. We can always go back to that. And in fact, just you know, we can thank God for it. We can thank God that now we're so sensitive to His Word, to His power, to the draw of His Spirit in our life, it manifests the fact that we are a child of God. Hallelujah. We can be thankful for that. And He will not leave us. He will provide for us. So if you will, that supercharged conscience can and is an... uh, 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 a testimony of the fact that there is a change, that there is a presence within us that wasn't there before. And then again, and boy, you can go on and on about this topic, as I've already mentioned, that there is mortal combat going on. Mortal combat. Romans 7.23, and you're familiar with those verses where Paul talks about his own battles even in this life. He ends that in verse 23, beginning in verse 14 actually to the end. He says, I see another member in my, or another law in my members Warring is the word he uses. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. When he says members, he's talking about his flesh, the remaining reality of of the flesh that is unredeemed. We still possess the unredeemed flesh that can still manifest all the evils... (laughs) that go against the Word and the teaching of God. And when our salvation is complete, when when we are glorified, that will be put off when we are like Him. As He says, we will see Him as He is. We'll be like Him. That's in our future. But right now and right then in Paul's life, he says this is a war. It's a war. Romans 8, 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, mortification, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you want to be overwhelmed with the fact that you are right with God? And that even though the way may be challenging, the way may be difficult momentarily, that you're on the right path? Well, then this is what we do. We seek, we strive to serve Him 
through the fullness of the Spirit. We turn our back, if you will, on the things of the world. And God will manifest Himself to us. He will assure us. He will give us strength in that obedience. We're reminded again, verse 14, if we're led by the Spirit of God, it is a testimony that we do indeed belong to Him. And you know the verses. If we don't possess the Spirit of God, then we're not of Him. We're not. We can't say that because every born-again believer has the power of God living within him. Now, we mentioned there talking about putting to death, you know, and I mentioned mortification. You see that again in Colossians 3, 5, and I've had the privilege of teaching on this extensively in the, his steps, and in this, in Joel's class, I don't know, I guess the class has changed and morphed, but we looked at this as we talked uh, on this particular subject. Therefore, he says, put to death, the same phraseology, you're in your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. It can be put to death. It can be identified. And we can pray the Word of God over it. We can embrace His Word over any error in our life, over anything that's seeking to drag us down, to hinder us spiritually, to hinder our relationship with Him, our fellowship with Him, maybe I should say for clarity, because that relationship is established, we can identify that. When our supercharged conscience is taking us in that direction, just call it what it is, move right into it, embrace it, allow the Word of God to do its work. But you must be willing, when He identifies things, you must be willing to mortify it, to kill it, to put it to death. And you say, well, Mike, that's not that easy. You don't know. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know what was done to me. You don't know how I've been victimized. You don't know any of that. No, and I don't need to know. I don't need to know. What you need to know is that when you follow Christ, when you give it to Him, He will fix it. That's not a fancy word, but it's a truthful word. And you'll see the evidence of that. And He and He alone will receive all the glory. Why? Thirdly, he says, because the Lord opens your spiritual eyes. It's hard to see things when we don't have, well, the knowledge. Certainly, if we're apart from Christ, there's things that we don't know. We don't have the Spirit of God. The Bible says plainly that the things of God are foolishness to that person. They don't have the tools. They don't have the capacity to understand. It is foolishness to them. It doesn't make sense to them in their worldly way of thinking. I think of Job chapter 42 verses 5 and 6. He says, you know, when he went through all that he went through in those first couple of chapters there, and then from chapter 3 all the way up through what chapter 37, it's just his so-called friends trying to convince him that he's the biggest sinner that ever lived. And then God comes on the scene and begins dealing with Job after that. And Job has a confrontation with God. Just go back and read those last three chapters. Read 38, 39, 40. And he tells him, he says, Job says, after all that, he says, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear. I know who you are. I've I've brought myself before you, Lord. I've laid myself prostrate. (coughs) You've touched my heart. 
and I've responded. I've seen you make changes in my life and my thinking. I've seen you react upon, as he would say in the first two chapters, the prayers that I've given up to you as I've tried to act as literally a priest for my sons and my daughters, praying for them. I know who you are. I know what you do. I've experienced that. But what else does he say? He says, but now my eyes see you. He's talking about something deeper, something much deeper. He says, therefore, what's his reaction? Just exactly what we're talking about here. I abhor myself and I repent, he says, in sackcloth and ashes. I'm just undone because I see even more clearly. I wanted to get closer to you. I wanted to get this question answered. And what do I see? I see how much dirtier I am. But he also knew the grace of God. Wow. That's amazing. That's how we get close to Him. Do you see that? That's how we get closer and closer to Him. By yielding up more and more of our life to Him as the Holy Spirit and the Word of God begin to peel it back just like an onion. Little thin layers sometimes. Those little thin layers that represent things in our life that we didn't think were that big a deal. But the Word of God and Spirit of God say that is a big deal because if you continue to hang on to that, if you continue to think like that, it will eventually work its way out in your life. That's even a principle that I have to teach and have taught in the past with young police officers. I can change the behavior. Just turn up the heat or reward people. You can change their behavior for a while, but you want to change the way they think? You want to change the way an adult thinks about something? That's a different challenge. So I get them to, to evaluate that and say, look, if you don't change the way you're thinking, whether, and it's most, almost always about people, categorizing people, if you don't change the way you think, it will work its way out in your words and in your actions. A Cobb County police officer just lost his job last week. I know that man. I, I haven't worked right with him. Don't want to call his name, but it was all over the news. And he said something that, you know, that reflected something in his heart that, you know, that, that didn't allow him to put the brakes on. And it's not a question of whether or not he actually meant what he said. It was just, I guess you could call it reckless. But in this day and time, in this political environment, it cost him his job. It will work its way out. That's why we say, Lord, change me. Change the way I think. How do we do that? We, we have to take this word and eat it up. And it is a life, lifetime challenge. Believe me. A lifetime challenge. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. I love it. Because God is faithful. And certainly along this line, our mind would go to Isaiah chapter 6. Where Isaiah was brought you know, before God, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Job, Job said, I abhor myself. Isaiah says, I'm undone. I'm, 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 I'm blown away. I'm shattered. Okay, I'm shattered because I am a man of unclean lips. Really? You mean after all and your potential, what you, this is the issue? Well, yeah. There you go. That's a good example. That was probably something he thought, well, yeah, that's what everybody does. In fact, he says so. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The Bible says that Job vexed his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. We just take things that are thrust upon us and we say, well, that's just life. That's just the way the world is. And we lose that, that natural defense against something. It's a very slow burn, if you will. 
Satan don't care how long it takes. He don't care how long it takes to erode any part of your foundation. He doesn't care. No. I heard Johnny Hunt talking one time about a friend of his. His name escapes me right now. It'll come to me in a minute. A preacher friend of his that I've heard preach many times over there. And I may, if I've shared this with you, just indulge me again, but I feel compelled to share it again. He was with him, and he said, Johnny, tell me about what's going on with you. you know, and their church was really on the right. Just tell me all these things that are happening to you. And he was talking about all the goodness of God and all that God was doing. Junior Hill. And uh, Junior said, well, that's great. That's good. He's doing all these things. He said, and then he turned the table and he said, you know, Johnny, the devil don't care how long it takes. He don't care how long it takes. Ooh, where'd that come from? That's what a friend does. Because he had prayed about the ministry. He saw the potential in something. Maybe it's just that he cared about his, his friend and he understood the continual burdens of ministry and so forth. He said, he don't care how long it takes. It's subtle. It's subtle. Pastor shared last week a verse. He said he talked about where that we're not, we're not taken by surprise. We're, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, Satan's device. We're not. How so? Because he's clearly revealed in the Word of God what he does and how he does it and how he attaches upon the, our weaknesses, the weaknesses in our flesh. And it challenges us. It challenges us to be faithful to the Word of God. That's what Job said. That's what Isaiah said. They come into his presence. God begins and opens their eyes once again to that deeper cleansing process. And he does his work. He mentions a clean conscience for the saved. Only an ever-increasing trust in Christ's work on the cross can fill this ever-widening gap, he says, and keep us in despair. And we've shared this. We've looked at this throughout. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We rest in that. We just have to come to that point where we're willing to do that. We can either deny it or we can defend it, what God is doing in our heart and life through our conscience. He's faithful and just. And I like what the writer said, if you've read in the book. He said, Christ didn't say there, or the, or the Scripture doesn't say, kind and merciful. He's kind and merciful for, toward forgiving us of our sins. No, he said he's faithful and he's just. You see the difference? He's faithful like no one else can be. We can rest in that, but he's just because what God requires is justice. That's what He requires. We know it's out of His goodness, His mercy, and His grace. But what He requires is justice. And He and He alone could provide that through Christ's sacrificial death for us. If it didn't say that, we would always kind of feel like, well, you know, something's, something's kind of missing here. I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but I still feel guilty. We can rest in the finished work of Christ. That's what that's about. That's what that's about. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2, he says, My little children, I write these things to you so that, my, so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That is one Greek word that I looked up, and it just means atonement, propitiation, in the sense of taking our place, 
That's what he did. It's been done. It's been done. So always when we're wrestling with these issues of conscience, we're reminded that as born-again people, Christ has secured for us a clear conscience. We can have that. And I want to move on swiftly here so I can finish this and we can look at a different topic next week. Fourthly, he talks about times when the conscience does indeed tempt us to despair. And conscience will do that. Because that's, if the, if the devil gets in there, that's his, one of his best weapons against us. It's to get us to look at our fallacies, our deficiencies, our past life, the challenges that are before us. He'll do that. A man or woman who truly loves the Lord does not want to fail Him, right? We know what we were, we know what we are now, and we know what we ought to be. We know and we see that clearly before us. Back when we were looking at the verses from Hebrews in 10.22, it said that we have our, we have our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We know that God has done that. That speaks of His work. He talked about our bodies having been washed in pure water. That was about the work of Christ on the cross from Hebrews 10.22. From 9.9, it talked about the old covenant and how it could not perfect or it could not clear the conscience of the worshiper. We talked about the issue of conscience in our worship and how people back then experienced that. There was something missing. And until the reality of Christ's death was there for all to see, The sacrifice had been made, the ultimate sacrifice, the one that had been foreshadowed and foretold. That brings a different level, if you will, of peace and sanctity within our soul because His work has been completed all upon Him. We saw lastly from Hebrews 13, 18, He says that we can now be confident that we have a good conscience. Again, from Hebrews, in all things, desiring to live honorably. And it's a reference to how our lives, our desires, if you will, our want-tos have changed. It reflects a power that we have in our life now, a desire that wasn't there before. That's because of the work of Christ on the cross. It always goes back to that. And just face it this way. We talked about the work of the Spirit that convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment to come, as one says. Ooh, okay, what are we going to do there? We're going to go back and rehearse every good thing we've ever done, every bad thing we've ever done? Or are we going to to cling to the cross? We're going to cling to the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We're not going to focus upon our faults, our failings. We can't go there because we'll crumble. We'll crumble. You mean I've just got to stand there in faith and trust? Well, yeah, because that's all you have. Don't think for a moment that you can point to your goodness because whatever you have is what God through His Word and Spirit has done through you. You don't have anything. Not before holy and righteous God. So this becomes dear to us. It becomes empowering to us. This is what we offer people. The indwelling presence of God through the new birth, through faith, through repentance. And then lastly, it just talks about how all this is true and much more. And if you have the book, and I don't have time now, but he he got a a couple of excerpts from uh, Pilgrim's Progress. 
Many of our folks have read Pilgrim's Progress. I'll read this one. You know who Apollyon is in the book. You know, it represents Satan. He says, Apollyon accused, you almost fainted when you first set out, when you almost choked in the swamp of despond, you know, that time of despair. You also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way. Instead of patiently waiting for the prince to take it off, you sinfully slept and lost your scroll You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions and when you talk of your journey and of what you have heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory in all you do and say. I like that insight. All this is true, he says, and much more that you have failed to mention, Christian agreed. But the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides these infirmities possessed me while I was in your country, for there I allowed them to come in. But I have groaned under them, have been sorry for them, and have obtained pardon from my prince. Bunyan had a terrific, terrific insight in that story. And that describes us. It describes us in so many ways. But rather than leave you with that, if you can, he had an excerpt in there from the Jerusalem sinner saved. Read that one. That's good. I don't have time for it because I want to share lastly as I finish up here from God's Word in Luke chapter 15 and a story that we know best. You know, we title The Prodigal Son because as you know, if you've studied that and the, the, um, the two little parables that come before it, you know, you got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, they're all talking about joy over finding that which was lost. That's what it's about. That's what it's about here. But in Luke 22 through 24, he says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says they began to be merry. What a wonderful, wonderful picture. And just like Christian agrees there in Pilgrim's Progress, that yes, Satan, everything you say about me is true. Okay, I agree with it. You're not going to get me there. But there's some other truth in my life. Faith and repentance has taken place in my life. Not perfection. I'm going in a different direction now. And I'm going in the power and grace of God Almighty. That's where I'm going. And you can't change that. You can't change that. Here in the prodigal is the picture of the father receiving this this sinner that Jesus goes so far. He goes to the nth degree to describe how awful this kid was before the you know his audience there was a bunch of Pharisees. You know, scribes and Pharisees. He was telling them, this guy, he, he's beyond, beyond saving in their mind. But no. He uses these, these three things, this ring and the sandal, the robe, the ring and the sandals, the robe being an instrument of honor. That robe was put around him. It was that robe that was often reserved for the, for the oldest son's marriage ceremony. It was the robe. It was that special robe. And he took it and he put it on this, this, this pig-stinking kid who'd been off in sin but yet had repented and come back. So he places him in a, in a position of honor. And he puts a ring on his finger. It was a signet ring, much like the one I've got on, except this one doesn't mean anything, except that I work for Cobb But 
They would use that ring to seal deals, to put it in the wax. He had authority, once again, in the family to do business. He was given authority. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve any honor. He had acted shamefully against his country, against his religion, against his his, his dad, his family. No mention of mom in the story. And then something as simple as sandals. Slaves and kids went barefooted. A son, sonship. A son had footwear, had sandals. He put sandals on his feet and he cleaned him up. And I love that the expression. And you go and you look up the words that says it. When he grabbed this kid and kissed him, it's a word. It doesn't mean he gave him a little peck on the cheek. It means he kissed him repeatedly because he was precious. He was dear to him. There was rejoicing in heaven in the presence of angels. More so over a sinner who repents. This is the finished work of God in the heart and soul. This is what motivates us. This is what allows us, if you will, strengthens us when we deal with issues of conscience, particularly when our conscience condemns us because we're reminded of the finished work of Christ and that His power indwells us. Let's pray together.